0: Uh, This week's going to be an exciting week in the Haas household. Our oldest, Connor, he turns 10 this Wednesday. So we are excited for his birthday. And in our family, we have made the 10th birthday an extremely big deal, very intentionally, where... Just as far as, especially as father to son and, and when my daughter turns 10, um, which totally not ready for that one, so let's not talk about that. Uh, my wife will spend some very intentional time, but we have prepped our kids over the last several years with, with this birthday plan saying, when you turn 10, we will let you go on a trip. You get to kind of do the airplane thing, and you'll spend some good one-on-one time with me, with dad, and Becky will do this with Collins, our daughter. And it's only for like 48 hours. It's it's a short trip, but we make a big deal about the 10th birthday, so we get to really spend some quality time. So when Connor first heard that, hey, 10th birthday is coming up this year, where you want to go? He's like, how about Hawaii? Hawaii? I said, so let's talk about budgets and boundaries. That's a big piece of you becoming a man and talking about those things. So anyway, we give them a lot of restrictions. It's not wherever, whenever, but we, we narrow it down. And Connor chose during the summer because we gotta start like figuring out all the plans. He chose to go to New York city. And so tomorrow morning, Connor and I will get on a flight and we will head to New York city for like 48 hours tomorrow. Now, literally I need by show of hands. How many of you have been to New York city before? Good, all right, all right. How many of you have never been to New York City before? Excellent, all right. So I I asked that for a very specific reason. Um, I went when I was like in high school way back when, I don't remember anything much about that New York City trip. Nobody else in our family has ever been before. And so what are you gonna do if you're really only there for one full day and then you got some travel days? So all of you, one one more time, how how many of you have never been to New York City before? You are no help to me whatsoever, (laughs) none. Your advice does not matter. Your tips mean nothing. You are absolutely no help with my trip with Connor to New York City starting tomorrow because you've never been there, right? You've not experienced it. You don't know the ins and then outs. You don't know where things are. You might've heard of things there, but if you have never been there, you're not gonna help me because, well, we've not done this together before. Now, those of you that raised your hands like, no, I've been there before. You would be a great person for me to have a conversation with. Well, what were your favorite restaurants and what did you like to do? And if you could only do a few things for a few hours, what would you prioritize and what would you do? And that's what I've done the last several weeks. Talk to friends, even a friend that lives in Manhattan, like, all right, we're only there for like a day. What do we do? So he's given me all the places and apparently Ray's Pizza is like a place we have to go. Those of you that have never been there, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? So no, the rest of you are like, may or may not have heard of it. So there's, there's certain things you have to do, but you also have to rely on the people that have already done it, have already walked through it, have already been there. That's the whole point of the series that we're walking through. Hebrews chapter two tells us this in verse 18. Since he, Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing because he's done it, because he's been through it, because he's walked through it. Look at what he's able to do. He, Jesus is able to help us when we are being tested. He understands us. He doesn't just know you. He knows what it's like to walk in your shoes, he gets you, he gets me, he gets us. And so when you're dealing with the struggles and the difficulties, the hardships, the problems, the sorrows, the struggles, the temptations, the testings, the list could go on and on and on. When we walk through those, we get to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, it's not just you know me and love me, it's you know me, you love me, but you also know what it's like to be in my shoes. You know what it's like to walk through these different situations and scenarios. So Jesus, I need your help. Because he's been there, because he's walked through it, he is able to help us when we are being tested, when we are going through troubles. So whatever you're walking through, he doesn't just know you, he gets you. He understands what it's like. So what we're doing this entire month is we're looking at specific stories that Jesus walked through that we also experience as well. So today, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four, we get a fascinating story where Jesus himself is tempted by the devil. It's an important story because we deal with temptations on a daily basis and that's not going away. We'll see why here in just a little bit. But as Jesus is tempted, I want you to pay attention to not just the temptation, but Jesus promises that he can help us. Because he's been through it, because he's walked through it, because he himself has been tempted in every way that we have or ever will be, he's able to help us through it. So my prayer for you today is that this would be helpful. Not just, oh, wow, what a fascinating story. I didn't know that. But it would be, oh, that's helpful because Jesus has walked through it. Jesus has experienced it. He's able to help So let's look at the story. It starts Luke chapter four, starting in verse one, we're told this, then Jesus full of the Holy spirit returned from the Jordan river. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing, all nothing at all during that time and became very hungry. Before we get into the actual temptations, we're gonna see that there's three if you don't know this story. But let's talk about temptation for a second here, just so we're on the same page. Temptation in its most basic explanation or definition that I could give you is temptation is nothing but an invitation to sin. That's all temptation is. And it's gonna look a little bit different for each of us. We'll see that here in just a moment. But temptation is to get you enticed to sin, to make a decision. Temptation itself is not a sin. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless, yet he was still tempted. So we know that temptation is not a sin. Sin is just missing the mark. So when, Jesus, when God says, here's the standard, here's the mark, here's what life looks like, here's how you live. And if we go any other direction other than hitting the mark, that's called sin. We miss the mark. So temptation is just an invitation to miss the mark. An invitation to do something against God, to do something contrary to God, to do something that moves us away from God. That's temptation. We also see a couple of key things about temptation here. Notice that it's the devil that's doing the tempted, the tempting. It's not God tempting us. God will never tempt you. It's the devil. it's our own desires that tempt us and try to give us that invitation. To sin, In my personal opinion, I think one of the most sobering passages throughout scripture that kind of speaks to this idea is out of Proverbs. And I say it's the most sobering because it's the whole point of temptation to make something look appealing and enticing so that we end up walking away from God thinking we're even doing the right thing. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and it's also word for word written again in Proverbs 16, 25. So important, it's repeated literally twice, Word for word in the book of wisdom, here's what we're told. There is a path before each person that seems right. There's a path before you, and this seems like the right decision. This seems like the right direction. This seems right, but it ends in death. Perhaps, and like I said, in my opinion, one of the most sobering passages in the Old Testament It seems right, it felt right, it looked right, but as you begin to walk down that path, you realize that it leads you to death. That's the purpose of temptation, to look right, to look good, to look appealing, and to give you that invitation to walk away from God. The other thing we see here, and this is important for us, especially in a Sunday morning church context to recognize, notice it it tells us in verse one that then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, If you read further uh, before in chapter three, you'll see that Jesus was just baptized. And oftentimes we have this false idea that, well, if I I accept Christ in my life and I follow him and I've given my heart over to him, I don't have to deal with sin and temptation anymore. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was tempted. So this isn't one of those, like the more spiritual you are, the less you are tempted. The more holy you are, the less sin you struggle with have many conversations across coffee tables with Christians, many Christians that have been Christians for a long time. And they're frustrated because they're still struggling with sin. And I say, well, Jesus still had the struggle. He did not sin, again, perfect. But if you call yourself Christian, if you have Jesus in your heart, you will still struggle. You will still have the temptation. That does not go away. Am I being helpful so far? Good, hope so. You're like, no, not at all. Where's the good news? That comes at the very end, but we have to get through the rest of this first. It doesn't go away. And Jesus shows us how to fight it though. So again, pay attention to how the devil tempts, but more so pay attention to how Jesus responds to each and every temptation. Here's the first one. Verse three, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Now that might be taken out of context, an odd way to tempt Jesus. If you really are Jesus, if you really are the son of God. If you really are the Messiah, then see that stone, turn it into a piece of bread. Now, if you just read that one passage out of context, that doesn't sound like a temptation. Like what's the problem there? Why why is the devil tempting Jesus, trying to get him to turn a stone into a piece of bread. But what did we just learn the verse before? What kind of context is Jesus in? Yes, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. We're told the very universe Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. So this is very smart of the devil. If you're gonna tempt somebody, tempt somebody that's hungry, that hasn't eaten in a while. They're gonna be weaker. They're gonna be at their lowest point and tempt them with food. Like it's super smart. And what we see here is it's not just the devil tempting Jesus to eat. That's not really temptation. The larger temptation has to do with our desires. Oh, the things that we see and want, the things that sound good, smell good and look good, but we know we shouldn't. Those are what we would call desires. Scripture actually refers to that idea in two ways, known as the flesh, or our sinful nature. We see it mentioned both times. Galatians speaks a lot to this. Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Paul writes, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, and look at this last part, craves. And that's like the definition of a desire. And those are, if you keep reading through the rest of chapter five, which I highly recommend it, it talks about this tension of this is the direction God leads us, these are the desires God wants us to have the spirit in the direction that the Holy Spirit leads us. But then we have this other side of us, the flesh side or the sinful nature side, those desires that want something different. And Paul in Galatians tells us that those are in a battle, what God desires of us and then what we desire, where the Holy Spirit leads us and where our desires lead us. And the devil is good at whispering temptations regarding our desires. Oh, but it looks good. Oh, but it feels good. Oh, it's what you want. You deserve this. You need this. You've been waiting for this. This is what you want so you can have it. I mean, he goes on and on and on and speaks to your desires. Speaks to our desires. Follow your heart. Please don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all else. But that's where the devil will poke and prod. So notice again, what does Jesus do though? He responds back. Yes, he uses scripture. You'll see Jesus do that each and every time. He uses scripture to battle temptation. Specifically, he points out a truth. He says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. In other words, he's bringing truth into the temptation. It's a big deal because all our desires are, are really good looking lies. That's all they are. It's a really good looking lie. Something that claims to be satisfying, something that claims to provide life, something that claims to give comfort or peace in the end does not result in any of that. You can turn this stone into a piece of bread and you will be satisfied for a moment, but you're gonna be hungry again. So Jesus recognizes the truth, even in the temptation that no, that will not satisfy me. Now, only God can truly satisfy me. Only God truly provides life. My life is based on him, not the desires of my flesh or the things of this world. So how do we fight temptation, especially in regards to our desires? We fight temptation with truth. Don't allow the lies of our heart and the lies of our desires to take root. Bring truth back into the equation and fight off temptation with truth. The second thing we see, or the second temptation we see here, verse five, then the devil took Jesus up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Here's what the devil says, verse six, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. Remember those two words, glory and authority. The devil promises, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. And I will give it all to you if you will worship me. So Jesus, you see all these kingdoms. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms. I will hand you the keys to the kingdom. I will give you authority over the entire earth. But you just need to do one minor thing. No big deal. Just worship me, the devil says, instead of God. Jesus' reply, verse 8, Jesus replied, the scriptures say, there he is quoting scripture again, quote, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is a very, very sneaky temptation that the devil throws at Jesus. Couple of things though, I mean, the devil is speaking the truth that those are his to give in this moment. There's a whole other side thing we could talk through on that one, but those are the devil's and that he could give over the glory and the authority of these kingdoms to Jesus. But what's interesting is God had also promised the same thing. So God is promising authority and glory given to Jesus. The devil is promising to give Jesus authority and glory. It's not the promise that are different. It's how they get to that promise. So God's way of Jesus receiving glory and receiving authority is a longer path that leads to the cross, that leads to suffering and a crucifixion and death. That's the way that God would then give him, give Jesus glory and authority. Jesus would have to be crucified to receive the glory and the authority. The devil's way seems much easier. The devil says, I'll give them to you right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to do the suffering. You don't have to do the dying thing. You don't have to worry about the crucifixion anymore. All you got to do is worship me. So what the devil's doing is presenting an easier way a different way, another way that really is a shortcut. Promise doesn't seem to be too different, but man, if I could still get glory and I could still get authority and I don't have to do the suffering, maybe that's a better way. The devil's trying to get Jesus to compromise, isn't he? He's trying to get him to make a compromise, to detour from the direction that God had given him. There's two paths for Jesus to walk. The way of God is going to be a lot longer and it's gonna be a lot more difficult. The devil's suggested way, his shortcut, yes, it requires a compromise, but oh, it's a lot easier, more simple. It's a lot shorter of a path. Oh, and there's comfort. You don't have to worry about the difficulty. At least in my life, in my experience, I noticed that I tend to compromise most when comfort is on the line. I think we'd most agree with that. We compromise most for the sake of comfort. So the devil comes at Jesus, not just with a different way or a shortcut of a way, he does so giving him a way out of difficulty. And so often the devil does the same thing for us. Those temptations, I wanna follow God and I wanna do what's right, but this way seems easier. I wanna go in this direction, but man, it's just getting really hard. And so we tend to compromise and opt for a different way that leads us away from God in the the way, instead of going the way of God. So what does he do? Jesus's response. He focuses again on scripture, says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I would use the word devotion. Fight temptation with devotion. Because that's what Jesus is saying. He said, no, 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 there's not another option here. Why are we even having this conversation about a shortcut or a different direction or another path or another way? There's only one way. And it's the way that the one I'm devoted to is directing me. See, when we get the choice of this way or that way or this decision or that decision, this choice and that choice, oftentimes we weigh, well, which choice is easier? Which direction is better? We begin to look at the direction. I would suggest, like Jesus does here, Don't focus as much on the direction, but focus on the one giving the directions. Who are you devoted to? Jesus is fully devoted to the Father. So whatever way he goes is the way that Jesus is gonna go. Doesn't matter if there's another option. Doesn't matter if there's a shortcut. Doesn't matter if there's an easier way. The one giving the directions, that's who we are called to be devoted to. So we fight temptation with our devotion, saying there's no other option You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. No matter what, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how hard the road is, no matter how long the road is, no matter the suffering, we go through the list. We stay devoted to the one that's giving us the directions. Luke chapter nine gives us a very great concise look at what devotion looks like in regards to following him. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. This is Jesus speaking to a large crowd of people. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, look at this, give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. Like that's a great definition for devotion. If you want to be devoted to God, if you want to follow him, well, here's what it's going to take to give up your own way. Let's just sit on that for a second. (laughs) We all have our ways that we would prefer right? Everybody's got a specific way that they do different things. You probably have, well, this is how we do it in our family, or this is how I do. We all have our own ways of things, right? I'm very particular on how the dishwasher is loaded. Because if you want all the dishes in the dishwasher, you got to do it a certain way, right? If you start putting things in just how it ever shows up, you're never going to get everything in there. So multiple times my family will tell you, I have unloaded the dishwasher because people in my family have tried to help and then I reload the dishwasher the right way. We all have things about us where there's our way of doing it. My wife has one of these in regards to towels. So I like Becky and I, we, we man, we are a great team, great partners in family and life. Um, but I also recognize my limitations when it comes to laundry. So she has said a hey, long time ago, Brian, I will just do laundry. You can help in any other part of the house and the family. Don't touch laundry. But there's times where I'm really trying to help. So I think, Well, the towels are the easiest parts of laundry. You just throw them in there, then you just fold them real quick and throw them on the shelf. Like there's not a lot to it. So when I would fold a towel, I would pull the towel out and it just seems like this is the easiest way to do it. (laughs) Done, right? Did we notice how fast that was? It was so easy and it still kind of got folded. So I would call that a well-folded towel. No, my, yes. (laughs) I've been married 14 years. I've heard the word wrong a lot when it comes to my folding abilities. So then Becky would teach me how to actually do this. So she told me that you start on the long side and then you fold the long side, shake, then do the long side again and shake. This is the hard part. Bear with me. One, two. How's that? Not bad, right? It doesn't look as good as hers. Here's the problem though, I don't do that. Cause I said, well, that's a whole lot harder. I mean, I could fold 10 towels in the time that it took me to fold that one towel the right way. So what I did one time is I was being helpful. I folded the towel my way, folded them all up, got them ready and we don't have the largest closet in, in, in houses and all of our towels go in our closet. So I carry all of these towels and they don't fit. And then it dawned on me, oh, That's why you fold them this way because they actually all fit. So then I had to unfold them all and it took me forever and finally got them the right way. So now I just don't help folding the towels and problem solved. Her point is if you're going to do it, do it the right way. If you're going to help, help the right way. We have to give up our own way. So if I'm going to help fold the towels, I'm going to give up the way I want to do it and I'm going to fold it her way. Friends, if you want to be devoted, a devoted follower to Jesus, you have to give up your own way. But my way's easier. My way's simpler. My way has a lot more comfort. A lot more people agree with me in my way. I mean, we can make the list. If you want to be a devoted follower of Jesus, He tells us in his words, you must give up your own way. That's devotion. We give up our own way. We pick up our cross. Do you remember the word that came right after pick up your cross? Daily. So we wake up every day, surrendering to him, giving up our own way, picking up our cross, which means suffering and we follow him wherever he leads, wherever he directs. The devil will always have a different way that is going to promise easier and faster. More comfort, less resistance. Could I plead with you to give up your own way and be devoted to the one that's giving you the directions? Follow him and his ways. Third one, last temptation we're going to see. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Verse 10, look how crafty the devil gets in verse 10. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Did you just catch that? The devil quoted scripture from memory. He might have more scriptures memorized than we do. Ooh, that hurt. Verse 12. Jesus responded, Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now this could be a confusing temptation. So let me kind of explain what the devil's really doing here. First of all, I do want to point it out again. The devil is using truth and scripture to cloak a sin. Well, the scriptures say, well, isn't it true that, I mean, go back to the garden, Genesis chapter three, you're going to hear some of that. Well, isn't it true the devil will use some truth, a bit of truth, an element of truth or scripture taken out of context to manipulate us to walk away from God. Again, temptation is an invitation to sin. The devil's gonna try any way that he possibly can to make that happen. So what's the devil really trying to tempt Jesus to do? Jump off, prove that you are who you say you are. What the devil's really trying to tempt Jesus to do and get Jesus to do is to show off, is to show his greatness to to use his power in a way that is a personal gain rather rather than in the will of God, to take control of this situation, to put God in a place where God has to react or respond to Jesus. In other words, Jesus is being tempted to take the place of God rather than serve God. Jesus is being tempted to lead God rather than follow God. Because it puts God in an awkward situation if Jesus jumps. Well, then what do I do? Like now God is having to follow someone else's lead. And if we're followers of him, we let him lead. So this is all about control and power and authority. Using his own power, the temptation is to use his own power for his own personal gain. But Jesus's response, you must not test the Lord your God Basically, Jesus is saying, I don't need to jump. I trust him already. I don't need any proof. I don't need to put him to the test because I trust my heavenly father. So we fight temptation with that, with trust. Jesus trusted God perfectly. So when we are tempted to go our own way, to take control of a situation. Instead of following God, we say, God, come and catch up with me. We're going this way. This is what needs to happen. I need you to do this. When we start making demands of God, when we start not asking God for his direction and not asking God to lead, instead, when we start saying, God, I need you to take care of, when we start getting in that place, we need to recognize, no, no, time out. I need to trust him. Fight temptation with trust. So those are the big three that we see Jesus do. We see Jesus first and foremost fight temptation with truth, recognizing that our desires are big fancy lies that look good, that are enticing. So he brings truth back into the temptation. I know what the truth is and I won't give in to the desires. He fights temptation with devotion, regardless of if another way is more comfortable or easy or more appealing. He recognizes his devotion is only to the Lord no matter what. Side note on that part, that was the whole part where the devil promised to give him authority and glory. Matthew chapter 28, this is after Jesus was crucified and rose again. We today in the church call it the Great Commission. You know how the Great Commission begins? Jesus's words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God still made good on his promise but it required Jesus to walk the path, the difficult path, but he was devoted to God. And lastly, we see here that he fought temptation with trust, always trusting God. Last part of this section, we're going to see one more thing. Verse 13, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. That's not helpful. That's not encouraging at all, is it? (laughs) Here's Jesus, son of God, just Temptation after temptation, defended himself, fought against the devil himself three different times perfectly. We couldn't do it any better than this. He gives us the playbook on how to fight against temptations, our desires and compromises and our own control nature and power hunger that we have. He teaches us how to fight against it. And then we get this one line that says, but the devil will be back. The devil's not giving up yet. The devil didn't win here, but he's going to try again. And I say that to remind us that, yes, we can have these victories in these temptations, but don't get too comfortable in those victories because guess what's going to come back? Guess what's going to come back? Guess what's going to come back? He's going to keep looking for ways to pull you away from God, to pull your focus and pull your heart away from God the temptations will always be there. So let me do this. I'm just gonna like do this real quick. Uh, If you've got your phone, this would be worth taking a picture of because you're not gonna be able to write them all down. We talked about truth. So let me give you some truths that we see within scripture. There's a lot more than this, but this is what would fit on one screen for you today. Um, So here's just a few passages, five passages that really are specific and speak to how we can continue like Jesus to fight off temptations. Let me hit them real quick. First Peter, those first two words, stay alert stay on your guard. Always pay attention. In the recovery world, which we have a CR program, great CR program here Tuesday nights, highly recommend you be part of it. It's for anybody with hurts, habits, and hangups. And one of the things that are talked about a lot is that stay alert. How can we always stay alert? In the recovery world, they'll use, uh, we use the word halt. Stay alert and pay attention when you are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. It is a recipe for disaster. So stay alert. Psalm 119 tells us, we, we got to have scripture in our heart. We saw Jesus use scripture each and every time, even against the devil using scripture. So that's one of the ways that we continue to fight. First Corinthians ten thirteen. When I did student ministry, and anytime I speak at a student camp, I'm like, you've got to memorize 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, because it speaks to yes, what we're going to deal with. We all are tempted. Every single one of us are tempted. We're gonna be tempted in different ways, but we're all tempted, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. Instead, he will provide a way out. So when you are tempted, you're not stuck. God, which way are you gonna help me get out of it? Ephesians 6, man, this is great, just daily. We talked about picking up your cross daily. This is one of the ways to carry the, what we call in this passage, the armor of God. It's basically remind you of the power of God each and every day. What does it look like to put on, quote unquote, the armor of God each day? Hebrews chapter two, it's this idea of putting off the sin that entangles you and running towards where God is leading you. So there's things we have to let go of so we can move forward. We can't go in two directions at the same time. So it's a good reminder of, is there things that I need to let go of? Are there things that I need to move away from? so that I can move in the right direction. So hopefully that's helpful. Those are just a few more scriptures and tools to help you in fighting temptation. But here's the harsh reality. We have spent like 25 minutes on how to fight temptation. And yes, we can fight temptation. And the Holy Spirit that dwells in you as a believer gives you the strength to fight against temptation. But the reality is yes, we can fight temptation, but we cannot defeat sin. Man, that's a hard thing to say out loud we have all these tools and we can follow Jesus's example and we can fight temptation. And like I said, yes, we can resist sin, but we cannot completely defeat it by ourselves. At least we need someone else. We need help. We need a savior. We need to be rescued. We need someone to free us from the sin that continues to trip us up and entangle us. So the next part of the story we see here, right after Jesus was tempted, Jesus does something pretty interesting. I want you to see the whole story. Verse 14, still in Luke chapter four, right after uh, we were told that the devil finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Here's what happens next. Verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, his hometown, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. So he's reading from the book of Isaiah in front of people he grew up with. Here's what Jesus reads from the scriptures verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Picture the scene. Jesus walks in reads that passage from Isaiah, hands it back, and then just sits for a moment. Then he began to speak. And here's what he said. He said to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. In other words, Jesus said, you know what I read that prophecy from Isaiah that talked about the Lord's anointed coming, that the Lord was going to send a rescuer, a helper, a deliverer. Remember the passage that I just read out, Isaiah, that said that there would be good news coming and that the captives would be set free and that the blind would see and that the oppressed would be freed. Remember that whole prophecy? Remember, he's sitting down in his hometown church. It's this guy. It's me. Jesus says, that's me. That prophecy, that scripture has been fulfilled today. Jesus says, I've come here to do just that, to set you free, that you're no longer captive to the power of sin. He said, but that's the good news I bring. See, the good news that Jesus brought is not good news you can conquer all your sins by yourself. It's not good news you can work really hard and take care of everything by yourself. The good news is not if you keep trying harder and harder, eventually you'll figure it out. No, the good news is that he came to do what we could not do on our own, that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for our sins, taking our sins away. Scripture says as far as the East is from the West, removing our sins from us and defeating both sin and death by taking our place on the cross. That's, is the good news. Not that we can fight and defeat sin on our own, but that we have someone who came to do it for us. That is good news. Christianity gets a bad rap at times, specifically because it's often viewed as just a bunch of do's and don'ts. All those temptations that we are supposed to fight against just be a lot easier just to say yes all the time. So Christianity gets a reputation for being a religion of lists and rules and commands. And yes, there are most certainly plenty of rules and lists and commands, but we don't follow those do's and don'ts out of obligation. We don't follow those lists out of some sense of, I have to. It's not a requirement, but you know what that does do? It grows our relationship. See, the goal as a follower of Christ, there's many. One is not accomplishing the list but growing the relationship. Things that we do in our lives will either promote a healthy, growing, thriving, strong relationship with Jesus, or it will cause it to weaken. The same is true in my marriage. Becky and I have been married, like I said, over 14 years. I can choose to not fold the towels the way that she wants me to. That will hurt my marriage. So I can choose to fold the towels the right way. And we have a wonderful marriage. Now, is that written in some rule? Do we have that posted on the wall? Thou shalt fold Tal's Becky's way. No, but I make a choice because I'm promoting our relationship. We choose not to date other people in our marriage. Shocker. (laughs) Not because it's again, some law, but I'm not going to have a healthy relationship if I do. We don't yell at each other either because I know what that'll do to her heart. My marriage is not based on the things I have to do because it's in a rule book. It's based on my love for her. And church, I pray that you have that kind of love with your savior, that you don't look at his word as a bunch of restrictions and a kill joy, but as the one that came to free you from what looks appealing, but leads to death. And we do not do that out of obligation. We do that out of devotion to him. We give him our lives because he gave his life to us first. That is the best news we could ever get. So yes, fight temptation with all your heart. But be devoted to him before you start the fight. Last passage I'll leave you with. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. One question for you to end today with, do you belong to Jesus? You're gonna struggle and you're gonna fight through the temptations and you're gonna have difficulties and hardships and all the things, but do you belong to Jesus? If not, you say, Jesus, I need you, because it's not about doing it the right way, your way. It's about following him in his way. So you open your hands, you open your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. If you do belong to Jesus, can I encourage you to get in the fight? It doesn't say that we are freed from sin. We are freed from the power of sin. Sin no longer has a hold on you. So keep fighting. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for being our savior, for being our friend, and not just giving us a bunch of rules to follow. The temptations are real. The struggles are real. The sin is more devastating and destructive than we could ever think or understand. But you came to defeat all that. So Jesus, in this moment, for those that, have, that do not belong to you yet, I pray that in this moment, in the stillness of their heart, they would say, Jesus, I need you. And they would receive that free gift of grace, not an earned gift of grace, but the free gift of grace, gift of grace. For those that do belong to you, may we fight hard, fight the battle, run the race that you've called us to, because we are devoted only to you. In Jesus' name.